before we uh, hear a rather lengthy Bible reading from Susan in just uh, a, a little bit, I thought I'd give you a, a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of a context to Daniel chapter, chapter 2. A little bit about uh, fortune telling, a little bit about trying to predict the future today. You see, people trying to predict the future is a, a multi-billion dollar industry. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. People throughout time and every culture have always tried uh, to, to find out what's going to happen next. We've always wanted to know, uh, can we see around the corner? Can we see into the future? Uh, predicting the future sells. You've only got to go into your local bookstore to see all kinds of uh, books in the New Age section about prophecy, uh, uh, a palm reading, uh, all sorts of tarot reading, all sorts of basically occultic practices are out there that with people trying uh, to see the future, trying to predict uh, the future. Uh, sadly, today, uh, people are still consulting their horoscopes uh, by the million. Uh, I once worked with a, a very sensible young woman from a, a Catholic background that consulted her horoscope daily and even confided in me that she, she didn't buy a house based on her horoscope. Uh, that to me is, is horrifying. Uh, please steer clear of any of these occultic practices. They are, are not of Christ. Uh, if you have any of these things in your home, please get rid of them because what business does, does light have uh, being involved uh, with the darkness. In our reading that you're about to hear from Susan in Daniel chapter 2, uh, deals with some magicians, some astrologers, some enchanters. Uh, but we'll see uh, that a young Hebrew lad called Daniel uh, is the one who is, has, a, has an insight uh, into the future, but only, only because God reveals it to him. This is Daniel chapter 2. Uh, thank you, Susan. You might like to follow along. You might like to bring your Bibles along on a Sunday morning, uh, following through with me or your iPad or your iThing, uh, uh, and follow along as we work our way through the book of Daniel over the coming weeks. Thanks, Susan. I hope Peter hasn't given away the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very long story, so settle in. Um, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks, 
No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is far too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Haniah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised God in heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God for ever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes time and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dreams mean. The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown the king what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you are lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. 
but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron can mix with clay. In these times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to other people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what, it will, what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then the king fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering in, with incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Sadrach, Meshach and Abednego chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Thank you. Well done, Susan. Well read. Thank you so much for that. Well, who needs, uh, who needs murder and mystery and intrigue on Netflix when you have the scripture, yeah? Quite a story, friends. Let's get into it. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we pray that you might reveal this mystery to us, this mystery of this scripture. And we pray that you might help us to apply it in our own lives today. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And the people said, Amen. A quarter of the Bible is prophecy. Did you know that? Nearly a quarter of the Bible in some way is, is prophecy. Now, prophecy doesn't necessarily mean telling the future, doesn't necessarily mean trying to tell what's going to happen in the future. Uh, some of it can be, like we heard this morning from Daniel, one of the, the great well-known prophets of the Old Testament. Um, but more often today, uh, 
prophecy is more like forth-telling. Rather than foretelling, it is, it is a forth-telling. It is being able to discern what God is saying into a particular situation for a particular people. And Daniel models for us uh, the model of, of prophecy. He lived in the context that he was speaking into. He knew the people. Now, I believe that the gifts of prophecy still operate today, but I would urge you to be on the lookout for, for the prophets among us here at church in the marketplace. Those prophets that come not in and tell us a few things that they think God might be saying and then head out again, but who know you, who know the context, who know God's word and are able to wisely apply it today in our context here at church in the marketplace. This is the model of the prophets of old. They were there with the people. They experienced the joys and the hardships, the times of trial with the people. So the prophets that I tend to listen to today are not the ones trying to predict the future, but the ones who are able to foretell God's word, God's will to us here today, who know us, who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, and who live with us week by week, uh, year by year, and who have some runs on the board in guiding and loving God's people. Now, Daniel was one of these prophets. He had been living here in Babylon now for some time, we think. He was taken, we heard last week, as but a teenage boy, dragged from his home into exile, uh, 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 hundreds of miles journey from Jerusalem to just outside uh, modern-day Baghdad in Iraq on the banks of the river Euphrates. He came under tremendous pressure, we heard last week, to conform to this new lifestyle, to reject the God of his fathers and to embrace this pagan lifestyle. But the key verse we heard last week was that Daniel resolved in his heart to not defile himself. He stood firm, he stood strong, and today we see how he's reaping some of the fruits of his decision to stand firm as a youngster. The, the story here, now in chapter 2, is that King Nebuchadnezzar has been literally hammered by dreams. The, the Aramaic word, by the way, this section of Daniel is written in Aramaic. Most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. This section is written in Aramaic. The Aramaic word here means a, a hammering or a, or a pounding. The king is really distressed by this recurring dream, and he demands to know what it is. He has a whole series of, uh, of diviners and astrologers. They were the cream of the crop. They were the, the best of the best. These were supposedly wise men whose job it was to interpret for the king, to advise the king, and, and, and he, they list them all here. They were the, the occult best or the worst, depending on, on how you see it. Uh, now, normally how a dream interpretation would work both then and now is that you would uh, go to the medium, you explain to them what your dream was, and then they explain for you what it means. Now, basically that means, of course, is that anyone with the gift of the gab, anyone with a little bit of, uh, of, of sort of personal charisma can really make up a story and convince the person, sometimes in quite manipulative fashion for people seeking answers to hardships in their life. It is basically the model that the occult still uses today. Palm readers, diviners, tarot readers, all of that is basically the model that still operates today. But I think old Nebuchadnezzar was onto this. I think old Nebuchadnezzar suspected that they were phony. So he said to them, righto, 
I'm not going to tell you what my dream is. You have to tell me what my dream was and then interpret it for me. Now, they're none too impressed with this. They come to him and they arc up. They say, King, this is impossible. What you've asked, no king has ever asked any wise man ever before. This is impossible. It cannot be done. This, no man has the power to, to, to tell the future. It's something that belongs to the gods. And they say the gods do not, uh, be, do not uh, dwell among men. And by the way, the king had threatened, if you, get this, if you don't get this right, I'm going to cut you to pieces and turn your house into rubble. The stakes are high, friends, here for these, for these fortune tellers, for these astrologers. The king is quite peeved, he's quite cheesed off, he realises, I think, at this point that they're a bunch of phonies and he orders them all killed. The problem is that Daniel and his mates Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, those weren't their real names, by the way, they had their names changed, trying to sort of strip them of their godliness. They were considered to be part of this crew. So they too are now living under a death sentence. And here is where our hero... Uh, Daniel comes into the picture. He goes to the king. Can you imagine the bravery? It says he, he goes to the king's advisor, and then it also says he actually spoke to the king and asked for a stay of execution. That must have taken a lot of courage, mustn't it, for young Daniel? It must have taken a lot of courage to be able to go to the king and ask this sort of a favor. He must have already have had some sort of standing with the king. The stand that he took back as a youngster is obviously now paying off. The seeds that he sowed earlier and he's now reaping a harvest in that he can go to the king, have an audience with the king and ask for a stay of execution. Ask for time to go and to, to discern what the king's dream was. He then goes back and he finds his buddies Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and he asks them to do what? What did they do? They prayed. It's a good lesson for us, isn't it? First, it'll take away for us here this morning, I think. What impossible situation are you facing? What is it in your life that seems impossible to get your head around, that seems impossible to overcome, impossible to deal with? Daniel went away and he prayed. He asked his friends to pray. If you have a problem, please bring it to the elders of our church. Bring it to a trusted brother or sister in Christ here at Church in the Marketplace. We would love to hear from you. We would love to be praying for you. If you have a situation, bring it to God in prayer. It's so liberating, so liberating to be able to take the burden off your shoulders and lay it at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, I can't carry this. This is yours. You need to deal with this. Ministers do it all the time. I do it all the time. It's such a liberty to know that the weight of the church doesn't rest on my shoulders. It's God's church to hand it over to him and say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. Let it go. Hand it over. Whatever it is that you are facing at the moment, the people are telling you are impossible, hand it over to God. Because those old wise men, they were right in the fact that no person could predict the future. Ecclesiastes, my favourite book of the Old Testament, by the way, the book of Ecclesiastes, written by King Solomon, wonderful book of wisdom literature. It says in chapter 7, verse 14, that, that no one can, can predict the future. It says no one can dis discover anything about their future. So what they were saying was correct. But remember, what is impossible for man is possible for God. 
says, says Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 19. God goes to God, Daniel goes to God in prayer. He prays and God indeed reveals to him the king's dream. God won't always answer your prayers in this fashion. Sometimes his answer is no. Uh, sometimes you won't always get the answer you want when you come before God in prayer. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But in this occasion, God does choose to reveal this incredible mystery to Daniel. And what does he do? What is the first thing that he does? Again, he prays. He comes before God and he, and he praises God. Have a look at the prayer if you've got it open in around verses 20 to 23. Uh, he praises God. Remember, he hasn't gone back to the king yet and said, hey, king, how's this for an explanation? He praises God before he even gets any earthly validation. He offers up before God a prayer of praise, not a shopping list of prayer. He starts with praise. He says, praise be to the name of the God who lives forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and I praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel gives God the credit for what has happened. He doesn't seek any credit for himself. He gives God the credit. And friends, so should we. As a follower of Jesus, there is no room for arrogance. We need to be walking away as fast as we can, turning our back on as fast as we can from that stuck-up Christian sort of image of someone looking down on other people, that sanctimonious, religious, holier-than-thou person. There's no room for that in the church of Christ, because it's nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Our salvation has been done for us on our behalf by Christ. This is none of our own doing. It is all a gift from God. When you are praying, can I encourage you to start with praise? Please don't go to God simply with a shopping list. Lord, I need this and give me this and give me this. Start off with praise. We told our kids in Sunday school, we saying we should start a very simple pattern. Wow, thanks, sorry, and please. That should be the order of your prayers. Wow, simply offer to God praise for who he is. Thank you for what he has done for you. Repent, say sorry for what you know is wrong, and then you can come to God with please do this for me. Do it in, in that order, and that is what Daniel has done. You might like to, when you're out, for me, it's, 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 it's nature, it's creation. That's what floats my boat. I like to go for a walk, I, wonderful walks of, of, that I'm discovering in this part of the world. Simply fire off a prayer. Praise you, Lord. Magnificent part of creation. You don't have to use big fancy words. Just fire up a quick prayer of praise. Praise you, God. What an awesome coastline. You saw, saw a seagull fly. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. It can be a simple as that. Daniel models that here for us in, in that prayer. He goes to the king and Daniel is, is able uh, to explain uh, the king. He goes to the king in verse 28 and says, I've got uh, the answer for you. He goes on and he details the king's dream and 
as you heard, it is a dream of a mighty statue, an incredible statue made of different uh, elements, different things. I won't go into detail about uh, all the different kingdoms. A number of Bible scholars will tell you uh, there is broad consensus, I must say, that the, the head of gold is, of course, Nebuchadnezzar himself. In the very next chapter, he sets up a statue of himself. And what does he make it out of? Gold. Uh, the next silver uh, part of this mighty statue is broadly believed to be the Medo-Persian Empire uh, that came about under, King, under Cyrus the Great. They ruled for about 200 years. The bronze section is, of course, the, the Greeks uh, who, who overthrew the Persians, led by who? Alexander, of course, uh, established the Bronze Age, bronze shields, bronze helmets, bronze spear tips, gave us people like Aristotle and Socrates and Plato. The iron in the statue uh, is broadly believed to be the Roman Empire. It's divided legs. If you know your Roman history, uh, the Roman Empire was divided in the latter stages of the Roman Empire into East and West, which is where we get our, our Eastern Orthodox branch of the Christian Church from and the Western tradition in which we stand here a very strong and, and mighty empire towards the end. It didn't even, wasn't really conquered. It sort of just faded away, hence the, the mixture of defeat um, with, with clay and, 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 and steel. And then Daniel explains that, that all of these mighty kingdoms, these, that I, just, I just gave you a whirlwind of ancient history, all of these kingdoms, all of these mighty empires will be smashed. There'll be a rock that is cut out of a mountain, not by human hand, come and strike the, the statue at its feet and blow it to dust. We would say today, smashed it to smithereens. Well, the king, I can't believe this, the king is, is, is aghast that Daniel has got it right and he falls at Daniel's feet, he falls prostrate at Daniel's feet and starts singing God's praises. Surely your God, he says, is the God of gods. Surely he is the Lord of kings. He is the revealer of mysteries. Again, God gets the credit. Daniel and his friends are uh, promoted uh, as a result of this incredible uh, act of, of generosity and graciousness from God on Daniel's behalf. And, of course, their lives are, are, are spared. But really, I want to just spend a moment asking, what is this rock? Who is this rock? Well, it is, of course, Jesus himself. It is, of course, Jesus coming to smash earthly kingdoms. Uh, Jesus' central message was indeed the kingdom of God. If you had to ask me, if you ask someone that comes up to you and says, what is Jesus? If you had to distill Jesus' message, what would it be? It's Jesus' coming kingdom. It's the coming kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, depending on which gospel you read. John the Baptist, before he even arrived on the scene, he, he, he pointed us to the, the coming uh, to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus himself used that term. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand, referring to himself. Jesus is the very embodiment of God's kingdom. Matthew uh, uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, 30 times uh, has Jesus using this phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus uh, says to seek first the kingdom of God. He uh, he, he rebukes the religious leaders, saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites, for you shut off the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. He goes on to say, My kingdom is not of, of this world. He spoke of his kingdom in parables, didn't he? Quite often the parables would start off with, The kingdom of heaven is like 
And think of all of the times that you've heard that. What did he say it was like? Well, it was like many things. Just a few examples. It's, a, it's, it's like a pearl of great price. It is worth selling everything you have to get hold of. It's a hidden treasure that is worth getting rid of everything you have to lay claim to. It is like a dragnet full of very different kinds of, of fish. It is like workers in a vineyard getting paid generously, abundantly, more than what they deserve by the, by the king himself. It's an upside-down kingdom where the last shall be first and the first shall be last. When you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you enter into this kingdom. You become a a resident of this this kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. You are brought out of darkness and and into light. But friends, I want you to know that this kingdom is, is a now but not yet kingdom. Jesus himself ushered in God's kingdom. Um, But remember, Jesus also taught us, when he taught us to pray, he said, your kingdom come. His kingdom is still coming in all of its fullness. We look forward to a day. And I had my first little uh, funeral service or remembrance service here at church in the marketplace uh, this week. And and I told what was essentially a a group of much uh, younger people than I that we look forward to the day. The Christian hope that we have is that God's kingdom will come in all of its fullness and will wipe every tear from the eye. It was a memorial service for a young fellow that had tragically taken his own life, tragic circumstances on the other side of the world and family couldn't be reunited. Just terrible situation. We look forward to a day when this coming kingdom, when the coming Christ comes again and puts all things to right puts all injustices to right, rights all of the wrongs, wipes every tear from the eye, no more crying, no more pain, and no more more death. Jesus himself says, when the Son of Man is referring to himself, just simply means the human one, when I come again in my glory and all the angels with me, he will sit on his glorious throne. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This kingdom is freely available to you. It will outlast the empires of this world. Kingdoms and emperors come and go. But we worship a God that is beyond all of that. We worship a God who is beyond time. Our earthly human understanding of time was God's invention. He's bigger than all of that. He holds history in his hand. History is really best described as his story. Kings and emperors stride across the pages of history, but they all reduce to dust, to smithereens, like that that mighty statue was in the king's vision. Peter says in Acts chapter 4 that Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. He has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no under name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Tragically, many people have rejected this cornerstone, this capstone. He is the rock of our salvation. That's why we sing, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and thy blood from thy wounded side which flowed Be for sin the double cure. Save me from death and make me sure. 
So let me ask you a few quick application questions before we close today, drawing from this, from this story. Have you built your life on the rock? Is your salvation secure? Is your future secure? Is your history secure? I hope that it is. Are you like Daniel perhaps facing an impossible situation? If so, hand it over to God. Are you like Daniel facing a situation that seems out of your control? It seems like our world is going through a period like that right at the moment, isn't it? Things beyond our control. We see these devastating pictures from India and we cry out to God, what can we do? We can do, of course, what we can do, but ultimately the history of the world is in in God's hands. Hand your history over to him. Do you look at the state of the world today and despair? Again, know that there is a God that is bigger than any earthly empire. With all their mighty nuclear arsenal, stronger than the empires of old by many times, know that God still rules over all of that. He will see them all out. Friends, can I encourage you to submit your life to this rock of salvation that will blow away the things of this world. Stop putting your trust in the things of this world that will all rust and fade away. Every mighty building that mankind builds, every statue to ourselves, every mighty sporting stadium, every huge skyscraper will all be one day bought low. Make sure that you have secured your place in this heavenly kingdom, this eternal kingdom. Trust not in the things of this world, of rulers or politicians or of kings of social workers or teachers. They can all do wonderful things, of course. But ultimately, we worship one who holds history in his hand. Submit your life today to this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, and live. Experience life eternal. Let me close with a quote from a wonderful saint that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, a lady, a hero to many, including myself, a lady by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. Are you familiar with Corrie's work? Corrie was a Dutch lady who sheltered uh, Jews from the Nazis during the Second World War. Is credited with helping around 800 Jewish people to escape the Nazis with their lives. The family was eventually discovered, they were eventually arrested. Some of her family were killed. She was put in a concentration camp and just treated brutally. It must have seen then like that, that Nazi empire that had swept across Europe was the next of these earthly kingdoms to have conquered the globe, to have conquered the world. And they must have seen, must have seemed like there was no hope at that point. But Corrie Ten Boom said something that I think we can apply today. She said, never be afraid to entrust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. Never be afraid to entrust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. Friends, entrust your life into the hands of Jesus Christ today and live. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it does seem like our world today is spinning out of control. It does seem to us as though the problems facing our world are so big, they're so devastating, causing so much pain and suffering. We deal with famines and pestilences and plagues, Lord, even here in our own land. So, Father, help us to have a heavenly perspective. Give us your perspective, we pray. 
Help us to hand whatever it is that we're facing over into your care. Help us to lay it down. Help us to lay aside our burden, put our burden down. Help us to see that you hold history in your hands, that rulers and nations and empires come and go, but you are the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Lord, we entrust our future into your hands. We surrender our lives to you. Father, we once again declare this week, it's no longer I that liveth, but it's you who lives through me. Father, we give our lives over into your care this week, whatever the future holds. Help us to love you and to serve you with all that we have, with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.